0: This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, getting back to business. Danny Meyer, the man behind Shake Shack and Union Square Hospitality Group, says it's only a matter of time before we're back and better than ever.
1: When offices fill up, I think when residents move back to their apartments, when hotels reopen, when Broadway lights come back on, New York is going to be stronger than ever.
0: And speaking of stronger than ever, Dogecoin's market cap is now over 60 billion. Barking mad.
2: I thought it was a joke with a funny, whatever that dog is called. I thought it
0: was a joke, too. Yep. Those stories, plus teenagers may soon be getting their vaccines, and a romantic and lucrative partnership comes to an end. What's next for the Bill and Melinda Gates' philanthropy fortunes?
3: They are co-chairs of the world's largest philanthropy, and a lot of questions about what that could potentially mean.
0: It's Tuesday, May 4th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good morning, everybody.
3: Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
4: More states have announced plans to reopen as COVID cases decline. On May 19th, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut plan to remove most indoor capacity limits in favor of requiring social distancing and masse. That includes retail shops, restaurants, gyms, amusement parks, hair salons, and, yes, offices. The opening will be, uh, be subject to maintaining six feet of distance between groups, although that could be relaxed for restaurants if physical barriers are in place. There will be no more capacity limits on outdoor gatherings. New York subways will return to 24-hour service. That's going to start on May 17th. Now, New, York, new Jersey, I should say, accelerated many reopening steps uh, to this Friday. That would allow school proms, an additional weekend to operate under these new rules. And yesterday, Connecticut became the first state to have 50 percent of adults fully vaccinated according to the Wall Street Journal. So progress, progress, progress is, um, is being, I was going to say slowly being made, but maybe it's pretty rapid.
0: It started as a joke, a meme, cryptocurrency Dogecoin, ah! has a climbing valuation, yesterday breaking through the upper 40 billions, higher than the market cap of some publicly traded companies like Twitter and Ford Motor, for example. It's gotten a lot of attention thanks to tweets from Elon Musk ahead of his Saturday Night Live hosting stint this weekend. But as a currency, Doge still can't be used for much, buying products like cars. It's also not yet available for withdrawal on Robinhood, where investors can buy and sell other cryptocurrencies. But that doesn't seem to matter.
2: Dogie coin get along oh, little dogie. get along <laughs> little doggy. you want to know where it is it is remember, getting along if
3: you've been watching it Yes. remember what
2: I said yesterday 49 billion you know what it's worth today 63 63 up another 18
3: percent increase
2: to 48 cents a kind of a <laughs> I, I don't know I've now I'm seeing articles that saying it's the perfect currency for the world and for the United States, I, I don't know. I thought it was a joke with a funny whatever that dog is called. I thought it was a joke too. Yep, that's what it was supposed billion. to be. Getting tough to be a joke at sixty-three billion. It's really getting tough to be a joke at, at sixty-three. I don't know. Uh, I just thought about that. I was looking at it. I put it on my watch list because remember it was supposed, to, you know, woo, supposed to be pot was it a dollar by day because of Slim Jim's because of a, sli- yeah, because yeah. Of a Slim Jim meme got a dog logo. supposed to be a buck by pot day. So I I can't even believe we're talking about that. But it's the perfect
3: currency. I mean, that's not a currency. Can we just, uh, it's not a currency. You don't use things like this for, to pay for transactions. It's not steady enough. I mean, it's, it's something that people are speculating on, but it's not steady enough to be called a currency. I'm not sure why we do that.
2: I don't know what's going to happen to it. I, I mean, it's, I didn't, you know, it, was know what's when we, to it when either, we started talking about it going to a dollar by 420, I think it was down in the 20 cent range. So now it's in the 50 cent yeah. range. So uh, and we do have as we said uh, you know Elon he's still going to be on, right? Uh, still going to be on. Night Live? He's still he's still going to be on, but you should
4: he's, you've also seen all of the the back and forth with yes, uh, you know he seems back. to be getting dragged online pretty regularly not just by, you know, spectators if you will, but but you know some of the actual You know, actors on on the show. So I did see.
2: I saw a tweet with some of his suggested funny scenes, and and I think he's kind of a funny guy. I saw one that was kind of funny. A skit with a woke James Bond. I mean, there. uh, If there's anyone who wasn't James Bond, can't do anything anymore. He's got to go just hide somewhere. Really, he's got to just go hide in a corner somewhere. Think about James Bond. Everything bad about. People he epitomized in terms of everything: the smoking, the drinking, the, the women. The women. Yeah. The there is another James Bond film,
4: you know, coming. You know that MGM has spent a small fortune with this MGM film that they've been holding back throughout the pandemic. So I don't know what uh, what Craig uh, was the actor in that case
2: but, does, right. but I'd love to see has, the Bond character has the definitely been tamed version. over the years. He has been. Yeah, tamed. this is
3: not the 1960s Bond.
2: My son said Snow White, the Disney thing yesterday, and I said, B.S. And he goes, no, that the, the prince is not allowed to kiss her when she's sleeping. And I said, that's not true. That's a joke. That's like, a, you read that on The Onion. I think it's true because I saw it on the news. So it must be true that he's stealing a, an unauthorized uh, kiss from the sleeping person. So um, Is you that know, true? Team? i got to look that up.
4: I, I know what I'm networks surprised you watch. I'm i got to find out about that You're one. Wo-
2: you, I looked for you for everything woke, my friend. And if you <laughs> missed that, you could make that I mistake ju- and show it to your kids. And, uh, and uh, you know, next thing you know, check it out. Maybe it was, maybe it was like- wrong. <laughs> maybe it was an onion thing. I, I hope it was an onion thing or, the, a, or a Babylon Bee or something. But I'm not sure it was. The best, I saw, uh, I saw the best on, thing
3: I saw online suggesting... A, 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 a battle between Bezos and, and Musk as a, a potential skit for Saturday Night Live with the battles that they're doing over space right oh, now. Oh,
2: space. Yeah, that might be good. See, see Andrew, it, when, you, when you think, no, that can't be true, and it turns out to be true, if it does, then... You have to the, remember, <laughs> life, the world, you, life is world is too woke. The world is life too woke is relative, if you think I, that's crazy.
4: Wokeness is a... It's all very relative. The, oh, OK, the, the you keep
2: telling yourself that. But did you find I'm, out whether it's true? Because if you say that can't be true, then I know they've gone too far because, I, you know, you embrace most of that. But I'm can
4: reading you? an article from The New York Post. So I need to do some additional work, <laughs> oh, if you will. That's definitely not true. Then.
2: That's definitely not <laughs> true. Then. I, Who knows what I, I, Murdoch's trying to do there? That guy. FDA is expected to authorize Pfizer's covid vaccine for kids age 12 and older by next week. Uh, setting up shots before the beginning of the next school year. There is another school year. That's another controversy I saw yesterday. Still don't know, really. Uh, Emergency approval for even younger children is expected sometime this fall. This
5: is good news. This is the news I've been waiting for, so Mm -hmm. yay.
2: Pfizer's out, uh, just reporting, and Meg Terrell has the numbers. Good morning, Meg.
5: It was a big beat for Pfizer in the first quarter on both earnings and revenue, and the company raised its full-year forecast, a lot of this driven by the strength of the COVID-19 vaccine, which brought in $3.5 billion in first quarter sales. The company now saying it sees 2021 revenue from the vaccine of $26 billion. That's up from $15 billion it had previously seen, based on the 1.6 billion doses and contracts it signed for this year, but the company says that even excluding the vaccine revenue in the first quarter grew 8 percent, and that's including a negative impact of 5 percent. Uh, from pricing for its other products. Uh, Now, the company also laying out the milestones we should be looking at this year for the vaccine, including coming up at the end of this month, they'll file for full approval of the COVID-19 vaccine in the U.S. for people ages 16 to 85. Uh, In July, they expect results from their booster trial for the shot of COVID-19, which they think we might have to get this fall or winter and potentially submit uh, for emergency use authorization in July. Expecting phase two safety data data uh, for uh, pregnant women in July or August, and then going down and getting results in younger children down to ages uh, two uh, with potential submission in September and then down to ages six months um, in November and potentially submitting to the FDA with those data as well. Hey, Meg, just to
3: go back to that timeline, because this is big news, not just on the earnings front and looking at how well that company performed, even without the additional revenue they were getting from the vaccine. Taking this next step, if you've got 12 to 15-year-olds who might might be cleared by the FDA for emergency use authorization now, and the timeline you just showed was that September was when they'd be giving the results most likely to the FDA for ages 2 to 5 and then 5 to 11, does that mean by late September you might anticipate that kids who are going to be in elementary school and preschool would be able to go ahead and get that vaccination?
5: Yeah. I mean, of course it depends on how the results look and then how the FDA looks at it and how the CDC's advisory committee looks at it. But yes, we could be looking at toward the end of this year, the vaccine becoming available for kids as young as two. And then, you know, they're testing it even down to age six months. And so they are moving in that direction pretty quickly.
3: I mean, you said the end of this year, but if they get the results in September, you would think September, October. And it makes a difference because right now rates are coming down. COVID rates are coming down. But Scott Gottlieb and others have warned us that you might see an increase in cases again as we get closer to the winter months when people are coming inside and don't have the option of being outside as much. Is that something that you think would be earlier potentially? Have you heard that at all? Or is the company still sticking to that conservative guidance of saying just by the end of the year?
5: Well, all we have from the company is what they put out this morning, which is when they plan to file to the FDA, and then it's in the FDA's hands. And yeah. there's just no um, determining how quickly the FDA will act on it and if they'll take longer to evaluate data for younger and younger children. Already, the FDA is being criticized by some folks for not already weighing in on 12 to 15-year-olds when we had those data you know, three to four weeks ago. Uh, but we are expecting potentially to hear from the FDA, according to New York Times Washington Post reporting, at least for that age group, uh, within the next week.
3: Meg, thank you. Great to see you.
0: Coming up on Squawk Pod, we're bringing normal back. We hope with New York restaurateur and Shake Shack founder Danny Meyer getting back to business and the challenges that come with it.
1: As extended unemployment benefits start to decline, and as more and more employees settle on where they're going to actually live, you'll see restaurants come back. But we can't open more quickly, and we can't take more reservations more quickly. And we can hire a really talented and diverse staff of people.
0: We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow. Today. Pursue your tomorrow with P Jim,
6: a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof of delivery, package lists and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. This is Squawk Pod
0: from CNBC, and New York is about to look and sound more like New York. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin.
4: Reopening news this morning. Goldman Sachs reportedly planning to bring U.S. workers back to offices starting next month. Bloomberg says the bank will tell employees to be ready to start working from offices by mid-June. CBC has reached out to Goldman Sachs this morning and the Wall Street firm declined to comment. Speaking of reopening plans, New York is moving towards getting back to normal. This Friday, indoor dining at New York City restaurants will expand to 75 percent capacity. On May 19th, Governor Andrew Cuomo says New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut plan to lift capacity restrictions on businesses. Join us right now to talk about the reopening of the economy and his new role as chairman of New York City's Economic Development Corporation is Danny Meyer. Of course, he's the founder of Union Square Hospitality Group and Shake Shack. And Danny, it is great to see you this morning, and it's great to see New York City uh, back, uh, hopefully, on its feet and getting ready to restart. Uh, I'm curious if you could sort of walk through what you're doing, both in your capacity as a restaurateur, but also in this new role in terms of how you think businesses should get back to doing what they do. And is it really just uh, the rules are off and everybody just go back to what the world looked like uh, a year and a half ago? Or is there going to be a distinction?
1: Thank you, Andrew. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. It's going to be an amazing comeback for New York City. There's no question about that, but it's also going to take a little bit of time. And I think that there's a lot we can do to accelerate the time, but there's also some things that I think are really important in terms of people being realistic. This is not like calling back uh, your favorite baseball team to spring training where everybody was on contract just waiting to get the call. There was a big diaspora from New York City uh, over the past year. A lot of talent left the city. A lot of residents left the city and what we need more than anything right now is a is an incredible homecoming I love what you just reported about Goldman Sachs uh, asking its it's its team to come back to work I think when offices fill up I think when residents move back to their apartments when hotels reopen when Broadway lights come back on the museums are open New York is going to be stronger than ever
4: Danny are you gonna be asking your employees, or not just asking them, but requiring your employees and perhaps patrons to be vaccinated?
1: We have done everything we can, Andrew, to encourage it. We've offered eight hours of paid time for our employees per shot. So we've really tried to lead with a carrot. We're also going to be distributing uh, pins for our employees that let people know that they've been vaccinated. And for the last uh, eight months or so, we've been piloting a program along with Clear, Called health pass, where in order to come to work, each of our employees has got to get a green light from health pass, which means that at a minimum, they've had their temperature taken and they've affirmed that they've had no symptoms. If they choose to upload uh, uh, negative test results and or vaccinations, that makes the green light come on even more quickly.
4: So, so, Danny, though, do you know uh, what percentage of your employees uh, have been vaccinated and, more importantly, what percentage haven't? And what are you going to do about that, the percentage
1: that hasn't? Just to continuously encourage them, you know, in the restaurant business, every single day before lunch and or dinner, we have a staff meeting and we talk about how powerfully you can help the rest of your team by being vaccinated. We're also working this very, very minute to make sure that when New York City provides mobile vaccinations, that our restaurants are right on their stop. And we will make every single effort to get every single one of our employees vaccinated. Look, you've read the news, you've reported the news. There are parts of the population that have resisted the vaccination. There's also incredible evidence that if you take a look at the cases of of positive COVID out there, a tiny, tiny percentage of them can be correlated with those who have been vaccinated. So we're doing everything we can, again, to lead with a carrot and to educate our staff. And as far as your earlier question, I don't know exactly what percentage have been vaccinated, but we are we're working to get as close to 100 as we possibly can.
4: But to the do you, do you imagine a moment where you might say to some people, look, you can't come back to work in, unless you're vaccinated? We're, just, we're not going to do it? And here's what, I mean, yeah, here's is, what done. wonder if that's
1: a real question mark. In our office, our home office for Unitsware where Hospitality Group, we've made it very, very clear for the last three months that you are welcome to come to work if you have been vaccinated. We will mandate coming back to work beginning uh, sometime later in the summer uh, for all of our employees. And I'm pretty certain that vaccinations will be a big part of that.
4: And, and what about patrons in the, in, in the restaurant for indoor dining? How do you feel about that very issue? Because that's, that, that's, that's been, the big, the big, been the big question, which is to say, should, should there be a, a vaccine requirement, vaccine passport? I have a vaccine passport now on my, my iPhone from, from the state of New York with a QR code.
1: Yeah, which is a fantastic technological advance. We worked with Clear uh, to host a big party, the first party we ever had at our restaurant, Marta, since the lockdown. And we employed this, uh, this exact technology so that 100% of the people who were uh, welcomed into the restaurant had to affirm that they were completely healthy. And if not vaccinated, as a matter of fact, everybody took a test through Clear on their way in. And it was the best and first and most uh, just amazing reaffirmation of life that I had seen in an entire year. We had 100 people in the restaurant, shaking hands, hugging, having a great time, and and people were wearing pins and boasting about having been vaccinated. I can see that possibly being the case. One thing that the governor said in his announcement yesterday was that when restaurants would move to assure that guests have been vaccinated, that's when the plexiglass dividers could come down. That's when the six foot distancing at bars could come would move away and so we really want to get back to being you know back to business there's such a backlog of celebrations that want to happen how many more holidays and birthdays and graduations and mother's and father's days uh have to pass by without people being together so we're going to do everything we can and obviously we're being sensitive to doing what's legal in terms of what's mandated and what's not but our strategy has been to encourage Uh, people to do the right thing and to make themselves safe, because that's doing the best thing for the economy of New York City. That's doing the best thing to bring back jobs to the city. And everything we can possibly do to Jawbone is is where we are strategically.
3: Hey, Danny, what what are you seeing in terms of customer demand? And I ask because we saw a huge uptick in small business activity for the month of April, really big swing Um, I I would guess that some of your restaurants have seen different levels of demand over the course of this, though, everything from Union Square Cafe and Gramercy Tavern to what's happening with Shake Shack. Where where do things stand right now, just from an economic demand picture?
1: Um, You named it, Becky. Demand is on the uptick. And as a matter of fact, demand is, is outstripping, in many cases, the ability to hire back people. And one of the things I hear from restaurant colleagues across the country, not just in New York City, is that there's this, this really interesting moment where we had huge unemployment in our industry and now we need people back, but we've never had a moment in time where this many restaurants were posting a help wanted sign at the exact same time. So here's what I see happening. As extended unemployment uh, benefits start to decline and as more and more employees settle on where they're gonna actually live, will they go back to where they lived before COVID started? you're gonna to start to see a shift and you'll see restaurants come back, but we can't open more quickly and we can't take more reservations more quickly than we can hire a really talented and diverse staff of people. Now, here's the, here's the opportunity within this challenge. Take New York City, for example. All of us, I think, used this past year to think deeply about some of the racial inequities in terms of how restaurants are staffed. We have a city that should look like our restaurants and our restaurants should look like our city. And so what I really wanna try to do is to help create a bridge so that people who need jobs can get a chance to meet restaurants that need those people. If you've got a heart for hospitality, you've got a great work ethic, a restaurant is a great place to start your career.
4: Danny Meyer, uh, we wish you and New York City well, and uh, we're excited for it, thank you.
0: Next on Squawk Pod, a surprising divorce announcement and the fate of the Gates' philanthropic fortune with CNBC's Robert Frank.
7: Lots of governments around the world, companies around the world, not-for-profits around the world watching this closely to see how it plays out.
6: We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture-proof-of-delivery,
2: Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box uh, here on CNBC. I'm Joe Kerner, along with Becky Quick and Andrew Ross Sorkin.
3: Bill and Melinda Gates announced on Twitter that they will split up after 27 years of marriage. The two are going to keep working together on philanthropic efforts which have addressed education, gender equality and health care. In the statement, they said, in part, We no longer believe that we can grow together as a couple in this next phase of our lives. We ask for space and privacy for our family as we begin to navigate this new life. Bill Gates stepped down from Microsoft's board last year and began spending more time on the foundation. He owns 1.37 percent of Microsoft's outstanding shares, which are worth more than $26 billion. He's the fourth richest person in the world behind Jeff Bezos, Bernard Arnault, and Elon Musk, according to Forbes. The couple were creators, along with Warren Buffett at the Giving Pledge. That's a program that requires participants to give away more than half of their wealth and the reason that this is being so closely focused on, especially in the world of philanthropy, is that um, they are co-chairs of the world's largest philanthropy and a lot of questions about what that could potentially mean. Good to hear that they're working together, but obviously people have questions about what happens next, um, what the focus of the foundation will be and,
7: and how that will work.
4: And Robert Frank joins us this morning with more, Robert.
7: Good morning, Andrew. Microsoft's uh, Microsoft shares stable right now in pre-market trading. That's because Bill Gates only owns around 1.4% of the company, around 26 billion of his $130 billion fortune. As you mentioned, the bigger impacts will likely be around Cascade Investment. That is the family wealth company. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Now, the divorce petition filed by Melinda in King County, Washington says they will divide their assets according to a separation agreement, which remains confidential. Cascades' more than $75 billion in holdings include big positions in a lot of publicly traded stocks, including Canadian National, Deer, AutoNation and Republic Services. Cascade is also the largest farmland owner in America with about 250,000 acres. It also co-owns the Four Seasons hotel chain. The Gates Foundation, that is the largest foundation in the world, has about a $50 billion endowment. It gives away around $5 billion a year. It is no longer a marital asset, so it is not subject to division but control could become a big issue the gates is saying in a statement they will continue to work together at the foundation but not-for-profit experts saying it may be difficult for them to agree on how to distribute those funds what causes to support who is in charge and how to invest that of course could have big impacts on health care education environmental policy and lots of governments around the world, companies around the world, not-for-profits around the world, watching this closely to see how it plays out.
4: Hey, Robert. Um, you know, I think there's lots of questions. Obviously, this this hit like an earthquake in so many ways in the world of philanthropy and public policy, given the role uh, that that Bill and Melinda Gates play in that and what the foundation represents. But in terms of the money that still has to be spent, um, you know, there's two issues. One is. What's going to get spent and how is it going to get spent in the control issue you talked about? But then there's so much more money. And I'm not sure people even appreciate this, even though uh, the Gates have have said and pledged that they will g- give all of their money away. Most of it actually has not gone to the foundation yet at all. And therefore, I think there's a different question as to con- not just continued funding the foundation. First of all, there's years and years and years at the rate they're going that it's going to take to even spend the money that they have. Uh, there's also Warren Buffett's uh, money that's going to continue to go into that fund. One of the reasons uh, that the Gateses have said that they haven't been giving more to that fund, in part, is because they're getting that money from, from, from Warren and that it's hard to give away money. And so then the separate question to me becomes, do they start using some of their own funds for, for other projects? As you know, when we've talked about Bill is obviously very involved in the climate uh, and also in Alzheimer's. Those are issues that are uh, completely—that have always been done outside of the foundation. Uh, Pivotal Ventures, which is Melinda's group, uh, focusing on family and mothers, that's existed on another side. And then, of course, there's all the business interests. We haven't even talked about Gates Ventures, which is his effectively venture capital arm, and sort of how that plays out. But, you know, when you've looked at other—I hate to say divorces, because every divorce is is a family affair, I think a terribly sad affair, no matter how much money uh, you have— the question is what you think the, the longer-term ramifications are insofar as we've seen, like McKinsey, Bezos, has become, uh, it, it, in some ways, it's sort of changed giving in many ways. Do you think this is going to change giving?
7: Yeah, you raise a really important point, which is that, yes, we have the $50 billion endowment at the Gates Foundation. But of that $130 billion that, is, that we attribute to Bill Gates' fortune, He and Melinda have pledged to give away 95% of that. So the big question as you raise is what happens to the $120 billion that is not yet distributed to the foundation that is pledged to philanthropy over time. And each of them are dedicated philanthropists. We know, as Becky mentioned, this is their life work for both of them. But they're individuals and they each have causes that are more important to them personally. And so when you look at both the $50 billion and the 120 yet to be distributed, plus Warren, uh, Bill, uh, Warren Buffett's money, which we don't know sort of how that's going to be affected, it, it remains to be seen where this goes, how it's distributed, to what causes, and will there be sort of split-off charities, split-off venture capital, split-off uh, investment arms, and, and where does it all end up? Because this is the fourth largest fortune in the world. 95% of it pledged to philanthropy and now questions about where it's going to go. But the good news is it will go to philanthropy that's, that's, that has been pledged and that clearly for both of them, it is their number one priority.
4: Robert, thank you. Appreciate it.
0: That's Squawk Pod for today. On our Rundown tomorrow, entrepreneur Gary Vaynerchuk, known as Gary V, on the investment craze for digital collectibles.
7: Alternative investments are why Sotheby's and Christie's existed for 200 years. Antiques. I just think this generation of 20, 30, 40-year-olds are not interested in buying a teacup from 1647 Old Europe. I think they're more interested in buying pop culture.
0: Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern and follow us on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. I got to find out about that one.
2: I look for you for everything woke, my friend. To get the
0: smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here tomorrow.